Well, November 23rd is today, um, and so we get to start that today, and we're excited uh, to start the Advent series. Um, first of all, let me just give you my greetings. Welcome. I uh, hope you're doing well. Anybody excited to be here today? Good, two of you. All right, so we'll try to work on that, and uh, we'll see if we can get you a little more excited by the end. Um, but I want to point your attention to this awesome-looking thing over here. Um, our Advent wreath was, well, it was struggling a little bit, all right? It, it was beyond repair, and so... Um, Mark asked Aaliyah Saris, uh, one of our middle schoolers, uh, who's really good and has an eye for these things to kind of create a new Advent wreath, and, and uh, she did a really good job. She's actually out sick today, um, so if you see her in the coming weeks, just tell her how much you appreciate that. It was a nice touch, and, and we'll feature that more and more as the series goes on. Uh, but if you have your Bibles this morning, it's going to be really easy. Turn to Genesis 1. Turn to the first page. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be uh, some Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, but we're going to start in the very first verse of the Bible this morning, so uh, I don't have to give you a page number or tell you where to look. It's just right there at the beginning. Um, as you turn, I want to tell you this. Uh, nothing that has ever happened throughout history impacts you and your life more than the birth of Jesus Christ. Nothing. So you might hear that this morning and hear me say that and agree with me wholeheartedly, and you might hear me say that and think I'm misguided at best and kind of stupid at worst, but no event will ever uh, match the impact of the moment that God physically broke into our existence on a mission to rescue those of us who didn't even know we needed to be rescued. No other event uh, has altered even how we keep our calendar and record time in history. Then that was the least of its impact. The word Advent literally means the arrival. Okay, so when we talk about Advent, we're talking about the arrival. And so for the next five weeks, right, five Sundays leading up to Christmas, we are in the season of Advent, right, in which we're going to build our anticipation looking forward to the Christmas holiday in which we celebrate uh, the gift uh, and give God thanks for the gift of life in Jesus. Right, and what we typically do this time of year over these next few weeks is to zoom in on the stories we find in the Bible surrounding the birth of Jesus. And those are some of the most cherished and powerful narratives in the Bible. We don't want to dismiss those at all, but the idea this year for Advent Series is kind of take a step backward. All right, instead of zooming in on the manger, we're going to pan out and take a look at the broader story, all in an effort to make sure that we understand why this is such a big deal. Right, because with, if with one sentence I tell you that Jesus Christ was born in a barn uh, surrounded by animals to a poor couple in a nowhere town in Israel around 2,000 years ago, and then the next sentence I tell you that nothing else in history matters more than that, there's a gap there we have to fill. Because right, those two sentences aren't easily reconciled. And Advent is so much more than Jesus' birthday. I'll let you in on a little secret. He wasn't even born in December. Spoiler alert. Sorry if I ruined your holidays. All right? But you see, the day of his birth matters so little compared to the ramifications of it, which is why we celebrate it. The birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ changed not only our history and our planet forever, and that's completely undeniable, whatever you believe about him, but it also changed eternity. Nothing was left untouched. Nothing. Including you. And there might be someone here today thinking, well, it doesn't, doesn't really matter to me. It hasn't impacted my life at all. Well, it will. It will. And that's why you must understand. That's why we celebrate. Through this series, we don't just want you to know that Jesus came. We want you to know why. And we want you to have that truth permeate your life. And let me tell you, I'm talking to the Christian who's been in church uh, his whole life with this one. Why he came is more far-reaching and penetrating than you've likely ever grasped hold of totally. So don't check out on us till January, okay? 
Every historical event, every life-altering experience, every major milestone all begin with a single moment. The married couple who's celebrating their 70th anniversary at one point noticed each other across the room more than seven decades earlier. At some point in his life, Larry Bird picked up a basketball for the first time. At some point, Beethoven heard the sounds of music for the first time. At some point, Van Gogh was handed a brush before the first time, you know, before he went crazy and cut his ear off and all that. Right, take every story, every, every tale back long enough, and in its origin, you will find a moment, a moment that often goes unnoticed by anyone else. But without them, the rest of the story isn't written. And that's what we're going to do this morning. For the story of Jesus to understand its ramifications as we go forward, we have to go all the way back to the very beginning. And in Genesis 1, we're told about that, the very beginning. So look with me in your Bibles at the start of the Bible, uh, in the first verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, there's actually a lot in those two verses, but there's just a couple things that I want to pull out for us today. I love, okay, I love that the first four words of the Bible are simply this, in the beginning, God. So in his word, right off the bat, God is declaring roles here. He's letting us know uh, where we belong. So if we come to God's word, if we come to this book full of ourselves, thinking that we're pretty special, that the universe revolves around us, four words in, that thought is obliterated. Because in the beginning, God, he was there. He was always there, and he will always be there. Just a real simple question, in case you're missing my point. Where were you 100 years ago? Where were you 200 years ago? Where were you 6,000 years ago? Where were you in the beginning? You were nothing. Outside the mind of God, you weren't even thought of. Okay, but God, but God was there. Okay. And in the beginning, he created. You see, God is the initiator, always. You're going to find this in the rest of the Bible if you read it. He's always the first to act. Okay, he moves, he speaks, he acts, he draws, he creates, he places, he calls. And the rest of the Bible tells us that in our relationship with God, we don't initiate anything. God initiates everything, but then he ultimately holds us responsible for how we respond to his initiating work in our lives. And we're told that before God moved, before he spoke, before he initiated anything, the earth was formless and empty and dark. It was void of all beauty and creativity and life. And without the creative, powerful, beautiful touch of God, nothingness and darkness overwhelmed existence. The Bible tells us there was just simply a vast, dark, deep emptiness. In verse 3, everything changes. Look what it says in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Okay, don't, don't miss the power of the words here and just how short they are. We start with in the beginning God. God not needing to be created was simply there. And now in verse 3 we're told, then God said. Okay. So the state was that all of the earth was void and dark and formless and nothing but then God. Okay, you're going to find this is a theme that permeates throughout the entirety of the Bible. That we're situations, we come across situations and, and realities that, that seem to just be a loss, right? We're Darkness has won, and there is no hope. There really isn't anything there, and the Bible says, but God, but God who is so rich in mercy, but God who is so powerful, the God who is love. And then God does a work of miraculous, loving, awesome power that only he can get credit for. And he changes the darkness to light, the despair to hope, and the death to life. 
So it's no wonder to me that we find him doing that thing at the very, very, very origin of things. There was nothing but formless, empty darkness, and God brought light, and from that light came order and life and beauty and vitality. And here's the crazy part about it. He spoke. He spoke. He didn't toil or labor or sweat over this. He said, let there be light. And literally, the Hebrew can be translated that God said, light be. And light was. He spoke. And at the command of his word, the universe and the physical powers responded. This blows me away because I can't get anybody to listen to me. I have two little girls. They don't listen to anything I say. And I know they're, they're wicked, rotten sinners. Okay, I get that, all right? I can't get my golf balls to listen to me when I'm playing golf. Inanimate objects have nothing. I've got uh, this Siri on my phone here. She's lit, literally, the software is literally supposed to be voice activated, do what I want. Right? So I say, hey, Siri, what time is Dumb and Dumber 2 playing? Should I have picked a more spiritual movie? Sorry about that. But what time is Dumb and Dumber 2 playing? And she say, she'll say back to me, I found several gas stations near you. you know? And I'm like, what's Siri tripping on? Right? Nothing listens to me. There's no voice-activated command in my life that works. But when God speaks, when God speaks, the entire universe does whatever he tells it. Right? It's at his beck and call. It moves at his will. And so when he says, light be, there was light. See, from the word of God comes everything. This is how God always works. He's always revealed his glory by word. Okay, because in creation, he brought everything into existence by his word. We're told in Colossians, later in the Bible, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So God revealed himself, right, in physical form through Jesus. That's what we're celebrating in Advent. And in John 1, we're told that Jesus was the word, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then to reveal himself completely to us, God gave us this. He gave us his Bible, which literally is the revelation of God to mankind. It's literally the word of God. And so God has always revealed himself and his glory by word. It's what he does. We're told that God, in his word, we're told that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there's a lot that can be learned about God through his creative acts. Right here at the start, whatever we see from God, we can know to be true forever. So it's interesting to me that God's first originating divine act in creating the universe was to bring light. Think about that. The very first thing that God did, the first thing that he wants you to know about himself, the first move of his power was to bring light where there was nothing but darkness. Now we know from verse 2, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness, so he reigns supreme over light and darkness. Psalm 139 tells us that even in darkness, I could not hide from you, God, because to you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So God's never blind, right? He's never unable to see. He's never conquered by darkness, but we are. And we see here in Genesis that by his first act of power in the universe, that God's heart and his intention and his joy is to bring light where there is darkness. And only God can do this. In Job 38, God is questioning this man Job after he got a little full of himself and began to posture as if he knew something that God didn't. So God comes at the end of that book, and for three chapters, he sets the record straight. And in the middle of the exchange, in Job 38, Job asks God, Hey, Job, where does light come from? And where does darkness go? And he's not asking Job for a science lesson there. He's not asking you to come up and tell me about the rotation of the earth and then how the planets spin and this burning uh, star out in in the universe. What he's asking is this, Job, can you by your power manipulate and move the sun and the stars and cause the planet to rotate? Can you do that, Job? 
Job, can you make the sun come up? Do you have that power? Of course not. You see, to create light is to have the power of God. And his first creative act, God brought light and we're told that he saw that it was good. It would do just as he intended it to do. From that light came everything. From that light came life and beauty and vitality and color and sight. And so his first act of creation was to bring light. But then his first act of ordering the universe, setting it up the way it should be, was to separate that good light from the darkness. Because God knows this. Light and darkness simply do not mix. Darkness does not belong to the light and light does not belong to the darkness. They have no place for each other. And so God separated it and called the light good. Now, I'd love to tell you this morning that the story just goes really smoothly from there. That as we came here today, creation is just perfectly ordered, just as it was. That things are just as they were designed to be. I'd love to tell you that once God went ahead and made the land separate from the waters and, and he placed animals and plants and mankind on the earth, that humanity never rebelled against God, that we never did anything to completely screw it all up, that we never ushered in something that marred creation itself. But if you think about it long enough, even if you don't know the story, you know that's not the case. Broken homes, broken families, discord, strife, men and and women scratching and clawing for petty little advantages over each other. People cutting others down for no other reason than just make themselves feel better. Every single time I go to Riley Hospital for Children and I can't find a parking spot because the garage is full. Every time you read an obituary in the newspaper, every time someone gets an awful report from the doctor, every young person struggling with image issues and self-worth, every single marriage that crumbles, every time a decision is made to get more money at the cost of others, at the cost of relationships, every time a woman or a child is abused, every war that has started, every disaster and calamity all scream to us that something is terribly wrong. And what they tell us is this, that they tell us that darkness made a way. It made a way. Right, in the natural order of things, darkness and light are still separated. We still have day and night, and it's still good, but the, everything changed when darkness took hold of the human heart. The beings who were made in the image of God, and when human beings decided that they wanted to be God. Right, that though we're not him, we want to be him, and we think we know more than he does. So we push against the idea that he's there, even though he's always there, he's always been there and always will be there. We rebel against the idea that he has any authority in our lives, in essence, making ourselves our own God. We doubt his goodness and love, and we seek to find that in lesser beings who aren't as good and aren't as loving. We want more than he has so graciously given us and provided for us, so we lust after and chase and plow through anything in our way to get to think that we think will fulfill us, but they ultimately leave us empty and unsatisfied. And with each passing decision, each motive of the heart, each lie that we embrace, we scream in unison to the heavens, we don't want or need you, God. And the Bible calls this sin. It's what it is, sin. It's these moments, these decisions, these acts where we go against what God would have for us. And it's just as awful and horrific as murder or abuse or it's as sheepish and justifiable in our minds as being selfish or petty or prideful. But it's all rebellion, the Bible says. It's all open rebellion against the God who gave us light in life. And every single time we do it, every single time we give ourselves over to that, the darkness creeps in more and more and more until it overcomes us. 
kicker is the whole time we genuinely believe that we are good people. That God is okay with us. That we can strike up a deal with him in the end. That as long as I have enough good in my corner, then he'll, he'll dismiss all the darkness and all the evil when the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. Because we don't just sin, do we? We're actually sinners at our very core. This reality hit a guy named Paul as he wrote the book of Romans and he writes this in the seventh chapter. This is Paul writing, he says, I am a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life and this body that is dominated by sin and death? That's the reality, whether we want to embrace it or not, that sin exists in me and in my heart and my life is dominated by sin and that domination will play itself out until death. I will die and the reason I will die is because I'm a sinner. That's our state. That we've let darkness into our hearts and into our lives and as sinners we stand as slaves to the sin in us. And so the question that we have to ask is the very question that Paul asked. Who's going to free me from this? Because a slave can't free himself. The good news this morning is this. Paul kept writing. In the very next verse, it gives us an answer to the question. In the next verse, we are told, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is why we celebrate Advent. This is the hope of the season. This is why this is the most significant thing that's ever happened to you. In John 1, John is telling us about the coming of Jesus when he writes this. The one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The good news of Jesus is this. The Bible tells us that due to our sin, human beings are stuck in a state of spiritual darkness, and the ramifications of that darkness are awful. They're worse than we can imagine. We live this life without purpose. We wander about. We worship things that aren't meant to be worshipped. We worship things that don't fulfill us. We have a void in our life that is never filled in. We turn on each other. We rely on things that are unreliable. And we eventually die in our sin and go to eternity separate from the God who created us and loves us if that state is never changed. And it's all due to the darkness and the sin within us. And Jesus, who God Says, who is God, who is called in God's word, the one true light, God in the flesh, came to bring light to that darkness. And so where there is sin, he brings grace. Where there's hopelessness, he brings hope. Where there is death, he brings life. Where there is angst, he brings peace. Where there is aimlessness, he brings purpose. Just as the world in the beginning was formless and empty and void and dark before God spoke into it, so are our souls before Christ speaks his life into us. That is why he came. In Romans 5, we're told this, when we were utterly helpless, and we all were, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Jesus left heaven to come here and he lived the perfect life and he taught all, of this, all that we need to know about God and eternity and life and sin and he took the cost and the penalty that was due for my sin and yours and he suffered on a cross and died in our place. And then he rose from the dead to offer us life forever. And so now if we submit our lives to him and we ask him to take his death and to pay the debt that I know and follow him, he now brings life and light and purpose and conviction and hope and adventure and joy. All those things that I was lacking before. A couple years ago, I went with a group from this church to Berlin, Germany. 
And there were 11 of us, right? So we, we, more than we could stay in an apartment, so they put us up in a, a hostel. And this was a really neat hostel. It had a huge living room type area that we could hang out with at night. And uh, it was really clean, which is all I really asked for from my hostel, right? Um, we really enjoyed our stay. But this, uh, the unique part about this hostel in the city of Berlin was that it was set in these deep woods that was in the city. Most of Berlin is like other cities you've been to. It's all concrete. It's all these huge buildings. But there was one section of the city where this hostel was that there was all of a sudden this, this huge uh, deep woods. And the hostel was set right in the middle of those, right? So uh, to follow the road there to the hostel from the bus stop was a really, really long walk. Uh, There's not a real direct path to it. You had to go a long way. It was an incredibly long walk from the bus stop. And as people who didn't live there, uh, all we did was walk. We didn't have any means of transportation other than public transportation. So we'd ride a bus or a train somewhere, and then we'd just walk and walk and walk and walk. So that by the time the day's over, by the time you get back to the hospital, you're pretty wiped out and tired. So the first night there, uh, the lady working there told us that if we got off the bus one stop earlier... There's actually a shortcut through the woods to our hostel. And let me tell you, if you've walked uh, seven to ten miles in a day, the word shortcut land in your brain and you do not forget them, right? And so the next night we're riding the bus and sure enough, I'm, I'm counting the stops. I'm like, this is it. This is, this is one before we need to go. And so I'm like, everybody, let's get off. Uh, and and uh, right there under the street light, there's nothing there. You get off this bus stop, there's nothing there, just a bench. But behind it is these deep woods and in the street light, you can see where the woods part and there's a path going through. Like, all right, nice little path opened up, so why go, right? But it was the woods, and it was night. And I don't know why I didn't think about that before, right? And it wasn't 50 feet, 100 feet down that path before you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And the first night that we tried this, we were actually in two different groups. And one group, uh, and some of you know this young man, he's actually in the army now, was led by Briar Nevins. And if you know him, you won't be surprised how this story goes. One group, um, as they forged their way through the darkness at some point, just decided to turn left randomly. Uh, And an hour and a half later, they found themselves not back at where they got off the bus, but all the way back where they got on the bus. All right, so they just wasted a total night on that. Luckily, I was in the second group, okay? And we, we got to the hostel, um, because we weren't as stupid as the other ones. But anyways, uh, we got to the hospital. We got there, but not without falling, not without running into branches, not without tripping on rocks, and, and to be honest, not without being scared out of our minds at just some random noises we heard. Right. In fact, the next morning, the lady who runs the hospital, and I have no idea why she didn't give us this information the day before, said, by the way, just keep a lookout when you come back at night. There are a lot of wild boars in these woods. To which I immediately said, they're wild what now? Like, go back there? Um, and so I knew right then, right, I, I'm supposed to be leading this group, we need a new strategy, okay? We could either, either A, go back to the, the original bus stop and walk the really long way around and stay on the road and stay on the pass and be safe, or B, we could try to get our hands on some flashlights. And I did the safe and logical thing and went and got a flashlight. And I know what you're thinking, what about the wild boars? Well, there, there are two things that I want you to understand. First is, you're underestimating how amazing the word shortcut sound after you've been walking all day. And the second is that I knew I, there was one thing I didn't know, but there was one thing I was sure of. The one thing I didn't know was how fast these wild boars can be. But the one thing I was sure of is I was faster than most of the people I was with. So I wasn't really worried about them, okay? The risk-reward factor seemed clear to me. Take the shortcut. You know, you've got the flashlight. You can just go. Um, but here's the thing. The next night, uh, with the flashlight, the shortcut was a breeze. Because we could see. 
Uh, we could see all the sticks and all the logs and all the rocks in the path that tripped us up the night before. We could see the low-hanging branches that we'd walked into. We could see where the other group turned left where they should have went straight. And because where I pointed that light, there was no darkness. And we know this. Right? How many of you walk into a room and turn on an actual working light and after you turn the light on, the darkness overcomes that light and retakes it over and then there's no light in there. It never happens. Because here's why. Light defeats darkness. Every single time, light always defeats darkness. It is undefeated. And I want you to know that God is a God who is able and desires to and finds joy in bringing light where there is darkness. Psalm 119 says, your word, O God, is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. David says of God in 2 Samuel, Lord, you are my lamp. The Lord lights up my darkness. Job 12 says of God, he brings light to the deepest of gloom. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? 1 John 1, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And Jesus himself, in a passage that Adam will lead you through next week, so come back for that, stands in front of a crowd in John 8 and declares, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Listen, I know, okay? I know the state of the world. I know that within the sound of my voice, there are people who feel this morning as if they are in the dark. Because that's what darkness does. It consumes by its very nature. It hovers, it conceals, it darkens your path and blocks you from seeing what you need to see. Listen, everyone you've ever met has been knit together by our creative God. Every little inch and feature of them and their personality was designed to bear his image and bring him glory and yet many in our world doubt their worth they doubt their love they hate their appearance they rebel against how they've been made and it's a darkness that consumes our young people especially maybe the picture that you've had for your marriage and family hasn't panned out there's mar- and there's separation and bitterness and broken relationships. Maybe you're, you're still giving it the best go you can give it. But nobody ever told you it'd be this hard. And you're confused and you're hurt and you wonder if it's ever going to get better. Maybe there's just, just conflict, just a, a state of conflict in your home. Neither of you has been able to see your way through. Maybe you, you blew it in the past. You just blew it and there's a relationship that needs mended. Maybe you recently got a health report that has just rattled you to court, changed all the plans you had for the future. Maybe you come from a difficult upbringing and you wonder if your parents or anyone for that matter really love you. Maybe you have an addiction that's just more powerful than you as all addictions by their very nature are. Maybe there's anger and bitterness in your soul that is beginning to to define you as a person that people actually just know you as a grumpy person to avoid. And maybe they're just really hard, troubled memories from your past that you just can't shake. So you're going through this life, moment by moment, day by day, but you feel as if the darkness is hovering and consuming and overtaking you. Listen, anywhere in your life this morning, maybe I didn't touch on it, but anywhere in your life that there is confusion and pain and hurt and doubt and anger and angst is darkness. And as you sit where you do this morning, it feels overwhelming. I know that. It hovers. That's what darkness does. But what I'm telling you today is that since the dawn of time, 
God is the God who says, let there be light and there is light. Invite his light into your struggle. See what he exposes. See what he brings to light. See what he does. It may look different than you imagine. He might rescue you in a different way than you'd guess or even hope. It might, he might not even take the situation away, but he will change it by changing you. He wants to speak into your life and say, let there be light. Will you let him? Some of you in here today may have been consumed by the darkness of just what is nothing more than a false idea about this God. And through the darkness, you just can't see the truth. You think that all this is, it's kind of a religion type thing. It's, it's about playing a spiritual game or looking apart and trying to be a good person and earning God's saving your life through going to church and reading things and just checking things off a list. And if you try that long enough, one of two things will happen. You either get so full of yourself that you don't need God anymore or you get so sick and tired of the game that you walk away from God even though you never knew him. You never, ever knew the real thing. You never grasp that God is not someone who can be earned and his favor is not somebody who can be earned. You never grasp that you need rescued, that God doesn't actually see you as worthy of his love, but as completely unworthy of it and he chooses to love you anyways. So he came for you and he paid your price because he loved you anyways and knew that you could never earn it. The Bible tells us that God has placed eternity on the hearts of men, that we have this divine imprint on our souls that will never, ever, ever be satisfied and never be fulfilled outside of Jesus Christ. And every single attempt that you or I make to accomplish, uh, to find purpose, to find life, to find hope, to find God, to find freedom, to find forgiveness, to, to understand why you were born or to know what life was about, every attempt that you and I make down those paths or to try to accomplish those things outside of Jesus Christ and his power, it's as if we were walking down a path that is consumed by darkness. We're feeling our way around. We're tripping. We're walking unsuccessfully, wandering about directions because honestly, it's just our best guess as to where to go. And the sole reason that Jesus came was to pierce that darkness with his light. He came into the dark to find us. He came and made a way where there was no way. Aren't you tired of just feeling your way through life? Aren't you tired of just guessing what this is all about? Aren't you tired of just playing a spiritual game that is completely devoid of power? And don't you want to know the real thing? And do you this morning feel as if darkness has consumed you and there's no way out do you sit there and you say Brett I feel defeated and helpless well if so then good and I don't mean that in a mean way here's what I mean if you feel defeated and helpless this morning that's where Jesus is that's where he wants to meet you that's where he does his best work not when not when you think you're okay Not when you've got it all together, but when you know you're in darkness. Because the very first moment of our universe was marked forever by God bringing light to the darkness, and he hasn't stopped doing it ever since. He hasn't stopped. Listen, we're going to sing a song, and it's a great one, okay? It's just our chance, right, as, as God's church to celebrate this Jesus and who brings light to the darkness, but this Jesus who is our rescue and our hope in our life. And if you're here this morning and there's a struggle in your life, there's something that you would call darkness that is hovering and consuming, let me tell you, this moment is your opportunity to give that darkness to Jesus. Just give it to him. 
Invite his light into your struggle. Invite his light into your family, into your home, into your workplace, into your mind and your thoughts and your emotions. Just invite him in there and see what he does. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ in faith, then the Bible says that even if you don't realize it yet, you are walking in spiritual darkness this morning. And you cannot see the truth that will set you free. And this is your moment to simply ask Christ to come into your life and dispel the darkness. Listen, light wins. Light ultimately wins. So stop forcing and feeling your way through this life and let him take over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who simply says, let there be light and there's light. And so I pray that around this room, God, where there is darkness, where there is a need for light, you would bring it. God, your spirit would convict and draw and move now. God, for those who are facing situations that just seem hopeless, seem like they're just beyond them, God, help them to know you're there. You're right there, and that's where you do your best work, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. God, help them use this time of worship to surrender that to you. Father, those here who don't know Jesus, who have no real relationship with him, who've never given their lives to him, God, we just pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself now, that you, your light would dispel that darkness, that, that right now, this moment today, they would give their lives to you and see what you can do. Now, they wouldn't wait, that they would, in this moment, would find someone to talk to, come forward to this altar, come forward to this stage, or talk to the person next to them. They would just right then and there surrender their lives to Jesus. And God, for those of us who know what it's like to have the light of Christ shine into our hearts and change everything, God, this is our moment to give thanks. So may we praise and may we worship and may we exalt you in a way that's worthy of what you've done in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any reason that you want to come forward and have somebody pray for you or show you in the Bible how to give your life to Jesus, this altar is yours. Uh, Come grab me if you need to grab somebody beside you. Um, But if not, uh, please worship God in the way that he's due. So please stand with us and worship.
I wasn't kidding when I said we were going to sing a good song. Uh, I meant it. Um, I want to let you know of a couple opportunities coming up before you're dismissed. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we are having our community Thanksgiving dinner here. Um, and the latest numbers that I was given was 354 people from our food pantry signed up. Um, so it's going to be a huge effort, uh, and we need your help. Okay, first of all, if you've volunteered and signed up uh, to help tomorrow night, then right after this service out in the Welcome Center, uh, you're going to meet with Pastor Mark, and he's going to break down kind of what we need you to do tomorrow night. Um, but for the men in here, I need you for about 10 minutes. And, I, and after this service, I want you to find every table that you can find in this building and move it to the large fellowship hall downstairs and set it up for tomorrow night. And then we'll get some chairs out and set it up because we're going to have a crowd uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so be in prayer for that. Uh, guys, we need you now uh, to, to lift some things. And if you've signed up uh, to help and you, you just don't know what to do, what you're doing, please see Pastor Mark in the Welcome Center right after. Um, other than that, thank you very much. Have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, travel safe and we'll see you next week. God bless.